Welcome to the MedTech Wealth Advisor Podcast, a show dedicated to teaching professionals and entrepreneurs in the MedTech field how to save more money, pay less taxes, and become financially independent. Join certified financial planner, professional Matthew Nelson, as he draws from years of experience and speaks with guest experts to solve the biggest challenge, aligning your money with your values, while thriving in the mission-driven world of MedTech. All right, welcome to the MedTech Wealth Advisor podcast with your host, Matthew Nelson. Matthew, good to be with you. This is your first podcast, so a lot of people, understandably, might not know, not only not know who you are, they might be wondering, who is this guy? And so we're going to spend a little bit of time in this first podcast getting to know you and letting listeners get a sense of who you are and how you got into this industry, because this is, uh, you know an interesting place to uh, to make a living, as it were, especially in your case, <laughs> because I want to get into this. And it's a pretty stock kind of question, but it's an interesting answer. How did you make the decision to get into this industry? I really want you to give people the unlikely entry of Matthew Nelson into this whole mess. Okay. Well, you know, Thanks, Bill. You know, I'm glad to be here. And and I just wanted to tee up that, you know, my team had to convince me that this first podcast would be about me <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, as we, as we get going. Oh, I know, you know, I know. I'm not comfortable talking about me either. Yeah. So. No, I mean, of course, you know, as we get going, I mean, the fun stuff for, for me is going to be talking about all the, the tax strategies and the investments and, and all that sort of thing and how yeah. we can help clients. But, you know, so today I, I have to divulge how, how I got in the business and what, what I'm all about. So we'll, we'll give it a shot. I think that, the earliest memories I have of just money and and that kind of thing. I grew up on a farm, just so everybody knows, kind of a dairy farm that really just means, you know, I, I learned hard work early and and a work ethic. And I think it was really good, had a lot of responsibility early, but it also means, you know, we, we just didn't have a lot of money necessarily growing up. And so to buy stuff, like I had yeah. to, I had to be industrious. I had to go out <laughs> and find some jobs and, you know, I was, I was mowing lawns or I remember pulling pulling my lawnmower behind my, my little BMX bike all around the neighborhood just to, just to make some money. So, you know, I do that. And, but, but I think what happened was I got interested in the process of that being, being an entrepreneur and, um, opened up the, the savings passport savings book and uh, at the bank and got interested in tracking it and so forth. And so, so that was really just kind of my, my earliest entry into it. Well, I, I'm curious because I did, I had a very small savings account, mm -hmm. but I'm curious, did your, did your parents guide you in setting that up or were you, was this like all Matt? Well, you know, not, not quite all me, but I, I do remember uh, opening up with my, probably my mother took me down there. And, um, after that first, you know, first time or so, I, I, I do remember, um, I mean, looking back, it's kind of funny, but I, I would go down to the bank at, you know, I was probably eight or nine, had my little passbook, need to get $5 out so I could buy some candy, you know, and the teller said <laughs> that was pretty funny. And I had to make sure that I kept track of, of the numbers, right. Cause you had to balance it out. So yeah. that was, that was just kind of, uh, you know, early memories of that. And then, you know, from there that you can fast forward, um, a big influence, I think on, on what I'm doing for a living now is when I was young, we had a car wreck and as a family, and there was a small settlement that, that mm. I got about age nine, I think. And at the time we didn't have an advisor. And, and I think part of the, partly just how that, that process works, that money just got set aside for me for college. And, and it wasn't, mm. it wasn't a huge amount, but just enough to kind of help pay for college and so forth. Anyway, as I turned 18 and that was available to me, um, my grandfather got involved and helped us purchase some stocks. So, so here I am mm. in college. 
he's showing me how that how to go about that process. My mom's having me make sure to track things. Um, you know, and probably by I think by age 20, I was calling the broker and figuring out information, getting quotes for grandpa and placing trades and so forth. And so that was a lot of fun. It was it was pretty, pretty cool to see. It seemed like a, w- a lot of work at the time, but it really paid off because from there I really just had an interest in and actually, believe it or not, now this is this is I'll, I'm going to age myself, but this is back to where kind of pre-internet. I mean, their internet was there, but I ordered an online paper charting system for commodity trading. So I I had these paper charts and a pencil, if you remember what that is, and yeah. a, an actual ruler, and I would keep track of things on on paper and, and figure out how to how to trade commodities. So I was doing that. That actually doesn't surprise me because I, I come from I come from farming stock as well. And I remember yeah. like being in my grandmother's house and listening to uh farm to market prices on the radio mm-hmm. every morning. That was early morning radio in that house. And I don't think people have I don't think people quite have a deep a deep appreciation of of the connection that farmers have to commodity prices. Right. So in a in a funny, not a funny way, in an absolute way, you've got a real connection into the financial markets by your DNA, is if you will. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, it it was it was extremely interesting. And and um, anyway, you know, fast forward, and I think that just sparked more interest. Fortunately, I landed a job at at a mutual fund company called American Century Mutual Funds. And this is down is this in when you were in college or right after college? Right after college. Yeah, okay. right after college. And so. Had a couple, you know, side jobs along the way before that, but I threw the right people, got into this this position, realized this is where I wanted to be. I I didn't even know that kind of institution existed at the time. It just wasn't. Mm-hmm. I hadn't been going down that road, but I got licensed there, started helping investors with you know, answering questions and understanding their accounts and learning about small business retirement plans. And I was I was basically hooked. I knew that's what I wanted to do for a living. So you know, from there, I I. Decided I've got to be a financial I'm going to interrupt you because yeah. it's like uh, what it, beg, it begs the question. You say you got the job you didn't know ever existed before. Uh-huh. You started doing this job you obviously had never done before, mm-hmm. and then you knew immediately you were hooked. Like why? It's a great question. I think I think the aspects of teaching were really mm-hmm. important. It, it's of course it's, a, it's an exciting industry, and there's you know there's numbers and and you could be reading all day just trying to keep up on on top of the news and, and right. what's in the investments, the portfolios. And so sure. I was just soaking it all in and I love talking to people and helping them understand. I think it's really what was there like it. a, was there like a moment, like was there an early, early success or your first success that made you go bing? That's it. Y- yeah. You know, I think, I think it was just initially the interest at the fund family, uh, this, this fund company, but really when I moved on to try to become an advisor and work toward that career. That's really where things started sparking. When I was actually sitting down across from someone, I had to prepare, have um, plans and recommendations together and uh, just help them understand what they owned and where to go. And, you know, I mean, looking back, I I didn't know what I didn't know. I'm a 25, 26 year old kid. You know, I'm trying to advise people that are older than me on what to do. And it was a tremendous experience that, that definitely solidified it's what I wanted to do, but it was it was pretty tough starting off that way. And so I think the kind of more of a transitional point happened when I started working at a, an airline credit union. So here in town, we have a, a large credit union called Wings Financial, used to be Northwest Airlines Credit Union. Yep. Okay. I was fortunate enough to land there at a time when the airlines were going through some tough, tough times. And so 
I'm still in my, you know, my early to late twenties and a lot of people are being retired and laid off or they are retiring and being laid off. And so I'm helping people 30, 40 years, my senior with their retirement plans. I mean, this is serious business. And so I oh, took yeah. it very seriously, but I got to use my, my newly minted, you know, CFP at the time. And I was just loving it. I mean, I just would, would dig into it. And what do you, what do you mean CFP? CFP is a certified financial planner. Okay. And back then you had to study for, probably took a couple of years to do the coursework. You could do it a little faster, but then there was a two day test afterwards. Um, you had to wait around for, it seemed like a couple of months to find out if you passed. <laughs> it's just different for the you know kids these days. They find out pretty much right away. It's kind of, kind of crazy, but that, that was a blast just putting that to work and really helping people, you know, figure some things out. And I, and I remember from that time, I still have clients from them to, from that time today. I remember specifically a client who they came in and I said, Hey, did you realize you are now a millionaire today? Like they had just crossed this sort of threshold and they were so excited about it. And it was, it was, it was fun for me to, to see that as well. So, you know, that's all that leads up to really what happened next, which is realizing this is definitely my long-term career. You know, I've been doing this for probably about eight years at this point and decided I've got to move to an independent firm. You know, that it was, I just didn't have the flexibility and, and the, the customization that I really wanted to have. And I, I was starting to come into my own of what I wanted to do and, and was able to make a, a leap to a firm called Focus Financial, which is where I'm at today. And that's really when the fun kind of started because it opened up my own business. You know, I, I own the business myself. I'm able to choose my own planning software, build portfolios. And that's when we really started started rolling. That's great. We, you know, we were talking about the CFP. So before I get into your investment philosophy and, and, and curious about how you begin to develop your own investing ideas and guidance, what, just give, give uh, folks an idea of what other designations or advanced education that you might have. What, quali- what qualifications do you have to guide me as right. my financial path? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, this, you know, the CFP, like you said, that's, that's kind of become the, the gold standard, if you will, for uh, practitioners, for for financial planning practitioners. And that goes very, I would say, broad and and not quite as deep, but very broad and into a lot of subjects. On top of that, though, I decided to get what's called an AIF. It's an accredited investment fiduciary. Broadly speaking, it's, it's designed to just help you act, know how to act and process your business as a fiduciary. So more or less, that means, Bill, you know, we've We've got to take the client's interest first, which would seem like that's kind of how you should operate in any business. That's not necessarily required, depending on the on the yeah. industry you're in. Well, um, no, I and I I have a long career in business and finance okay. myself, and I I think that people use that word fiduciary and. I think a lot of people are like, I don't know what that word means. I don't quite understand it. So why don't we just spend one second on that? What is what does it mean to you to be my fiduciary, if you will? Sure. It means that the the way I answer that question to myself is I, is I first ask, would I put my mother or brother or best friend in this investment? Would mm-hmm. Would I recommend these planning techniques for someone that was that close to me? That's that's really where I start. But it but um. Fiduciary really means that you, you need to be acting for the client's best in the client's best interest, acting for them, yep. not representing the company, not representing the product provider. 
to not making trades in the interest of the company, but making trades in the interest of the client. Yes, exactly. And in fact, maybe not even making trades. That's that's part of mm-hmm. that's part of the challenge, I think, is that sometimes advice is thought of as being action. Advice equals action. Yes. When uh, a lot of times the best advice is doing nothing. And that can be the hardest advice to give clients sometimes when they think <laughs> everything, sky's falling, do something, do something. And right. advice is, you know, this is the best thing for you to literally sit still. Hard advice to give, I imagine. I know it can be hard to get. Yes. Definitely. So which I t- that takes us basically at the doorstep of business and investment philosophy. What what has your experience taught you and 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 what is it that you how how do you guide people? What principles, what philosophy guides you? You know, obviously as a baseline, the fiduciary we talked about. And and then and then from there, maybe it could feel a little bit meta, a little bit kind of touchy-feely, if you will, but are you you're you're old enough to remember um, you know, Star Trek, I'm assuming. Oh, of right? course. Yeah, you know, and I I don't want to sort of alienize, um, alienate, I should say, you know, any Star Wars fans. I still love Star Wars, but there's a couple of characters on Star Trek. You know, we've got Captain Kirk and Mister Spock, right? And you know, I think I think of it just because it's an anecdotal story, but I think of you need both. You need Captain Kirk. It's not Captain Kirk versus Mister Spock. It's it's Captain Kirk and Mister Spock. And so, mm. you know, Captain Kirk really is is the character that that acts with passion and and what their heart wants and moves toward what they need, what they think is most going to be most effective intuitively. And, and Mr. Spock, all logic driven, all math driven, right. all what's, what's most effective. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes the right answer is not the Mr. Spock answer. So, sometimes the right answer is, is the, is the Captain Kirk, like you need to do what actually is going to work not necessarily what the math is going to tell you. So it's it's a little nuanced. We want to act rationally, but we also want to do do what's going to be the most effective outcome for the client. It sounds like um, I am not going to put words in your mouth, so you can you can correct me here. But it sounds like there is a there's a modicum of discipline that's involved. Absolutely, absolutely. Set up yourself for success. Do all of the planning. Crunch all the numbers. All of that's great. But the three-page spreadsheet that you create isn't really, you know, yeah. that that isn't really the answer. Sometimes, sometimes it's it's what will the client be able to do? What baby step can they take to get them toward success? And and sometimes that that uh, again, uh, like I said, it's it's kind of like the Captain Kirk uh, answer if you right. think of it that way. Well, I'm curious where risk comes into all of this for you. Because, for example, my wife and I have different risk tolerances. She is much, much more risk averse than me uh, in terms of the investments. And I'm curious how you talk about and deal with the subject of risk with with your clients. Right. It's a it's a good one. I a lot of times we'll use a, a bit of a baseball analogy with this, and I try to avoid the sports analogies too much, but you don't need to hit a home run every time. Like that's not the, the goal of investing is not necessarily to make a big pile of money. Okay. In our world, uh, the investment portfolio serves a purpose and it, and it serves a purpose to, to drive the, drive the engine of the financial plan. And so if we, uh, are sitting with, let's just say you and your wife and, and looking at your situation and you can hit, 
you can hit doubles and, and singles and doubles all day and make all of your goals work, that's all we need to do. Now, that doesn't mean we have to invest so conservatively that we don't hit home runs. Right. But we need to start with what's really needed and then build out some some aggressiveness from there if, if you really need it. I want to just make a point that it's make sure you're starting from the goal first versus working backwards and say, uh, what kind of goal can I obtain? Mm. Don't invest yeah. first and then back into what will work. <laughs> I, I, I hear you on that. I hear you on that entirely. Yeah. So let's just take a break from philosophy of investment to getting to you yourself. You're married. Obviously, you've referenced your wife. What what kind of things do you all do when you're not working, when you're not Matthew Nelson guiding folks to their financial future? What do you guys do for fun? I'm into just about anything outdoors. So really, really an outdoors enthusiast. I do a lot of, uh, a lot of cycling, a lot of mountain biking. I actually, mm. you know, I'm on a club team uh, called Peace Coffee Racing. And, um, peace coffee, peace coffee. I don't think a coffee is being very peaceful, but (laughs) right. Right. Yeah. Local, local roaster here in town. That's uh, just fantastic. And so we, I've, I've actually been on that team and supported that team for quite a number of years, but do a lot of mountain bike racing have for years. We also get up to the boundary waters, which is a, if you don't know, it's a big wild, wildlife wilderness area here, um, almost on the Canada border, um, Mm. super remote, just excellent, relaxing, no cell phone service. Love to do that with, with a couple of friends of mine. And, and then my wife, Tanya and I will occasionally get some travel in and, um, really we we're kind of movie buffs. So we'll stay home Ooh. and watch some movies and, and just chill out a little bit. Nice. Very nice. So I'm curious, I am not a mountain bike enthusiast, but I have friends of mine who have been not only been mountain bike enthusiasts, but I have friends of mine who were avid triathletes, uh, and I've got like, I've had over the few years, I've had like five or six friends who were avid Ironman mm-hmm. competitors. And I've always marveled at their ability to stay focused and to finish those kinds of events. So I'm curious, is there like, a, how do you do it? Is there a mantra, a motto? Is there something that you that you focus on that helps you get through the peace coffee mountain bike moment or, right, you know, right. or, or the boundary waters or and it probably actually apply to work as well it's it's a great that's a great uh way to put that um i do think that my my endurance sports you know hobby if you will does yeah. actually support my career in that way it, it it is hard there's there's times when i'll be out there um some of the races are you know six seven hours long i mean they can they can be pretty pretty extensive and and it hurts Sometimes it hurts and you're just <laughs> suffering along. And, you know, I guess what, what I tell myself in those moments is, is just that, look, pain is only, only temporary. Pain is only temporary. So you, you can do a lot more than you realize. And when it comes to work, there, there's times when, you know, it, it takes a little extra when you're owning, own your own business, uh, when you're running the firm, you don't necessarily get to clock out at a nice, easy seven hour day. Um, there's times you have to put in a little extra time. There's times when when clients need you, and you have to be able to 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 respond and and put in the time. So I don't know if that really answers your question. It just the the ability to do hard things. I think I learned as a child on the farm. Right. Um, I think I've continued to embrace that. That sometimes doing things that are hard become rewarding, and 
God, unlike the business, you know, building the mm-hmm. business is hard and it's looking back, it's it's been extremely rewarding. Yeah, no, no. I, I know a guy who firmly argues that we all should do hard things, that we should not avoid doing them, that there's a value, if no other value, in simply just doing the hard things. Right. That's absolutely so, yeah. right. Every, and, and, and of course, we sit around and joke after the races, you know, we tell our war stories and we'll never do that again. But of course, you know, half a day later, later like, we got we to do this again. Yeah, that was, that was the best. That was the best pain I ever felt. Right. Yeah. No kidding. Well, I'm, I'm curious. We're getting near the end of this interview, but I a couple of things I want to get in here. One is, are you active in the community? Are you involved in your community at all? You know, I, I am to the extent that with the racing, it takes up a lot of time and, and owning the business takes a lot of time. Right. So no volunteer uh, organizations uh, right now. I've, I've got a few in mind, but at the moment, I'm involved in a number of what are called angel investor groups. Mm. And this is something that's um, come up in the last five, six years. And uh, what that means is it means supporting startup companies here locally and and I think that's been very valuable. So you know, contribute the 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 time to to hear their pitch and listen to their story, and and you know, sometimes money when we invest as a group. So um, so a mentor role is a kind of the idea. You know, uh, yes, the group that I'm involved in will often yep. sit in on their board. We'll usually have a board um, seat, and so to help these companies along. But it also just gets me involved in understanding what's going on in our community where right now it's actually a lot of med tech related companies. So th- that's a big part of what I spend my time on. Nice. It's a good a, a good way to spend your time when you have extra time to spend. Right. Let's wrap this up with a couple of questions. First one is the big question. What is what is your idea of success? Define it for us. That, that's a great one. It's, it's one you, you always... You think you have an answer for ahead of time, but you know, I, I think what I've come to feel recently is this idea of, so it's a word called mudita. And what that means is embracing sort of an altruistic, appreciative joy of others' fortune. It's different than being jealous. You know, it's sort of the opposite of jealous, but if I can get to the mind state where I feel financially free myself, positive about my life, um, happy with where things are, and I can genuinely feel happy for other people as they experience success. That just feels like a nice, well-rounded way of being. Now, we're going to get into this more in the next podcast, but you've you the name of this podcast is MedTech Wealth Advisors. So it beggars the question, what is your ideal client? Give us a little bit of a teaser on that and we can fill that out more in episode two. Sure, sure. Yeah. Over the years we've since I've been doing this quite a while, we've acquired clients really from all industries, you know, small business owners and and self-employed and a lot of airline clients and so forth. But the bulk of our clients really are retired or uh, just about to be retired. Oh, okay. And um, so that's really where our expertise lies. You mentioned that, you know, of course, the name of the the podcast is uh, the the MedTech Wealth Advisor. What we found is that we've been moving toward this niche over the last couple of years because it aligns really well with our mission as a company. It's a very mission-driven career to be in it be a med tech professional. And so while while we have a number of clients that are not med tech related, um, our ideal client is coming out of the med tech uh, profession. They're, they're usually 
a, a mid-career, maybe late-stage executive, maybe a, a medical device sales rep, a uh, very significant role. There are some entrepreneurs that are trying to get that that idea finally launched that they've had for years. And then uh, still a lot of retirees. So that's that's really the the target type of clients, mostly focused on investment and retirement and tax planning. All right. Well, we will get into that more the next time. We're going to close this out, though, by asking you a really simple question, which is for those who are listening to the podcast and thinking, I'd like to know a little bit more about this guy and maybe reach out to you. How, how would they how would they get in touch with you, Matthew? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think you just start with our website, which is perspective6group.com, and it's got all of our contact information there. You can certainly reach out and call us directly. You'll probably get a hold of Abby or one of our their support team members, or you can use the start here button and get on my calendar and, and see if if there's anything we can help with, or if we're, you know, something that, that would be the right fit for you. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you, Matthew. We'll look forward to learning more about you and getting a little bit deeper into these topics over, over, over the next series of podcasts as we go along here. But for now, thanks to you. And we, of course, want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in and listening to the MedTech Wealth Advisor podcast with Matthew Nelson. If you're interested, subscribe. It's easy. There's a subscribe button right there. Just hit it. Subscribe it. Then you don't have to remember. I was it. What was that? I don't. We don't have to do any of that stuff. It just gets delivered to you. You're notified. And there it is on your listening device. We'd also like to ask you very humbly to rate and share this podcast because in doing that, you help others find it and learn about it and hopefully benefit from it. So thanks for listening today. I'm Bill Tucker on the behalf of Matthew Nelson and the MedTech Wealth Advisor podcast, reminding you to live your best day today. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the MedTech Wealth Advisor podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.perspective6group.com or give us a call toll-free at 888-591-9770 or locally at 952-225-0333. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of Osaic Wealth, Inc. and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Investment advisory, insurance, and financial planning services offered through Focus Financial, Inc. Securities offered through Osaic Wealth, Inc. Member. FINRA forward slash SIPC. Osaic Wealth is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products or services mentioned here are independent of Osaic Wealth.